you know, um, I think I'm on. Um, Redeemer, I, I, whoa, oh my gosh. Wow. Sorry about that. Um, Chris talked about uh, coming home. Um, there's something about uh, my experience with y'all both times I've been here. I was here last August in the tent outside. Uh, just being a witness uh, to the way that you have been a home for people. Um, Friday was uh, you know, special in a lot of ways to see the way that you uh, loved, love on Chris. I know that Chris is here as a minister with you all, amongst you all, and then he left to go do something else and deep betrayal. Uh, I, I know, I know that's what Giorgio feels. And, and for y'all to then come around and him and Blake and show, you know, the, the folks that were there and honoring them, um, and then to go to the football game uh, and to witness the way uh, this church has come around, uh, Jen and her family, it was uh, special for me to see. And um, y'all are a home. Um, and hopefully uh, today, uh, as we turn our attention to God's word, um, you'll find that, that God is the same kind of home for us and for, y- for you. Um, I want to start uh, with a quote from Barbara Brown Taylor. It's, she says the following, One of the main things that tip people towards garden variety depression or despair, she says, is a low tolerance for sadness. It's an inability to bear dark emotions that causes many of our most significant problems. In other words, it's not the emotions themselves. When we cannot tolerate the dark, we try all kinds of artificial lights, including, but not limited, to drugs, alcohol, shopping, shallow sex, and hours in front of the television set, phone, or computer. There are no dark emotions, just unskillful ways of coping with emotions we cannot bear. The emotions themselves are conduits of pure energy that want something from us to wake us up, to tell us something we need to know, to break the ice around our hearts, to move us to act. As I read that, what often describes me is I can't tolerate the dark. Whether it's dark emotions, sadness, frustration, low-grade, anger, anxiety, fear. When I run head on to these things, my tendency is to find artificial lights, ways to cope, food, drink, shopping, TV, phone, anything to get my mind off of it. And I become quite content to sit in the dark with all the lights on. What I mean is I'm filling the dark with artificial light. Once we took a trip and we stayed in, uh, on this trip, we stayed in two hotel rooms. One hotel was a suite. I got upgraded. Hilton Diamond member. That's the way I move in the world, right, Chris? Um, And it was this huge room, but it was dark and drab at the same time. There, There were lights on the peripheral of the room, but none in the middle. So even with the artificial lights on, the electric lights, it was still dark. That's kind of like how it is for me. Now, we also stay, goodness, in the morning, <laughs> and wake you all up. <laughs> now, we also stayed in this 225-square-foot hotel room, and the room had this massive window, and light filled the room, and it was curious to me 
the rinky-dink room full of light, yet the small and massive suite drab and dark. The big idea this morning is renewal begins in the dark. And renewal is God's presence as a home in us and then from us out into the world. And this renewal of God's presence in us and God's presence out in the world begins where? According to Psalm 143 in the dark. There's this upside down nature to renewal. It doesn't start in stately suites, but in dark, uh, drab places in the tiny and the small. And so this is point one this morning. If you are at the end of yourself, Redeemer, you are ripe for renewal. I don't have an answer for that. Man, there's all kinds of craziness going on. All right, I'm done. Sometimes I don't wear my watch because like, I'll bend my wrist a certain way and it does that. But it, it usually is very quiet at my church and like and no one hears it and you just all heard that. <clears throat> so David's condition as we enter into this psalm is what? It's, it's, uh, it's deep distress. Verses three and four, the enemy has pursued my soul. The enemy has crushed my life to the ground. The enemy's made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. Now, let's take inventory alongside of David. Have you felt pursued? Have you felt like you're, like ever been crushed to the ground? Have you sat in the darkness like the long dead? Does your spirit faint? Is your heart appalled? Uh, maybe at yourself? Maybe at the world around you? Maybe at the conditions of things in the world? If that is true, this is the place of renewal. I remember uh, on my sabbatical, my family, it was like two years ago, actually, we were there. Uh, we were in South Carolina near Charleston. We passed this boat that was stuck out in the middle of the water. And when the tide receded, which it does there, you, you saw the boat was actually run aground, stuck, unable by the strong tide to be removed from the miry clay it was stuck in. It's just sitting there, waiting. And I think the temptation for us when we feel pushed, stuck to the ground, is this place of stagnation, is we, we don't want to be in this stuck place. We have this what low tolerance for the dark. The, the stuck place is actually an attempt for us to pause, to, to attempt, you know, when we're stuck there, we attempt to ignore renewal and ignore decline. How many of us are here, this place of decline, in some ways despairing, we are in this Eeyore sort of place, we're going to resist renewal, and the only way is to slide into decline, it's resignation. It is what it is. One year that was the t-shirt that I bought for a white elephant gift that my, one of my elders got. It is what it is. That's resignation, right? 
Or, or maybe, instead of that, instead of being resigned and, you know, in this place of decline, we move towards human-driven renewal. Like, we trust other methods to get unstuck. We're going to figure our way out of it. We're going to apply some sort of technique to this thing. In this, we vacillate between affirming the things the world offers us to feel better and to get out of the dark, and the resignation that leaves us exhausted when those things don't stick. It's the buzz of the artificial light, those fluorescent bulbs sticking to our souls. In our heart of hearts, we know they can't help with our sadness, our failures, but we flip the switch on anyway. I live in New Mexico, a place of 320 days of sun. When our oldest moved to Wheaton, there's not nearly many days of, that many days of sun there. And he, he, we noticed that he was frequently in these places of despair. And then someone mentioned it to us, seasonal affect disorder. Sad, interestingly enough. And so last year we bought him a happy light. It's this artificial light, but it did actually help when he used it. You see, the buzz of artificial lights feeds our drive to fix ourselves, to think that redoing our to-do list, resetting our goals, getting some sort of therapy, getting away on another trip will renew us. And all of this touches on the theme. Renewal is built into the world, but it's ultimately God's tool to move the world towards his ends. Everybody understands that something is wrong in the world or in them. Everyone desires something better. We yearn for renewal. We lament its absence. And God's centered renewal is aligned with God's presence, which renews us in the world. And the good news this morning is if you're in stagnation, decline, stuck in in a progression loop of human-driven renewal, you are ripe for God and His presence and His renewal. This place of dissatisfaction with yourself, with the church, with the world, this place of coming to the end of yourself, if you're at the end, pursued by your enemies, crushed, perplexed, run aground in the low tide, waiting night after night for some sort of renewal, you are ripe for it. And so David's despair, his discontent, doesn't lead him on a campaign for change, but rather it leads him to the hidden places of cries filled with tears. Why? Because renewal is always dependent, contingent on God's mercy. The frame around this entire psalm is God's mercy. Verses 1 and 2, Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ears to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. David thrust himself upon what? The mercy of God. Hear my prayer. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. It's mercy that hears and cries and acts. And David places this prayer inside of God's infinite mercy. And that leads to the posture of renewal. Look at verses 5 and 6. Here David makes four I statements. Three of these refer to what God has done for him where? In the past. And the final one in verse 6 matches this past deed to where where David is in the present. I remember the days of old. I meditated on what you have done. I pondered the work of your hands. So I stretch my hands to you. 
For I am thirsty, I'm dry, I'm so dry. The posture of renewal is reaching. David reaches first back in his memory so he can reach forward into his current plight. And what's the intention of his reaching? For Yahweh to move, to act. You are perfectly able, Lord, to act now just as you acted then. And because you're merciful, I will reach. I'm so dry. I'm so thirsty. I I reach for your cup to quench my thirst. And, And the last time, the last time I was dry and thirsty and quenched my thirst, I'm going to come back to that and do it again. I remember it. I remember you feeling my cup. So I'm longing for you to do it again. I'm reaching. Sweet times in marriage sometimes are undone by something that is hard. And then the hard becomes the theme. And everything is hard. So you remember something that might fix it, and you do that. But it doesn't have the same effect. Your spouse has changed. You've become hardened to that thing that was once so sweet. God isn't like that. We may become hardened to God's sweetness, but He is never hardened towards us. When we reach, someone is there. Now, maybe it hasn't always felt this way. Our stories may be such that we can't trust this. We may even be tempted to project this upon God. God can't be trusted. We we are anxiously attached or ambivalently attached or discordantly attached. David finds secure attachment with God based on what? God's faithful presence. He doesn't misremember. He banks on, gropes for God's countenance. His, his face turned towards him. In where? God's prior faithfulness. When David remembers the past working of God, he knows that he can bank on it now. God will be faithful now and in the future. How does he know this? Because he was in the past. The past secures it. He may not know when or how or in what manner, but renewal will come because he's in the dark, because he is despairing, because he has grown faint, and because God is merciful. And so his posture reaches back, and that leads to the last point, the mood of our renewal. Now, we might be, you might be like, man, this is fast. Oh, this point's really long. <laughs> Notice the mood of this renewal. It's imperative. In fact, David sounds a little bossy, uh, a little demanding, maybe even entitled. And so I want to hold that there. Is he? I mean, is there an obligation for God to act for us? I think that's a big question of this psalm. I mean, David, like, he wasn't always a good guy, right? We know this. He's done things that have caused enemies to pursue him. And he's done nothing. I want to sit in that tension for a second. Last night, uh, my daughter Blakely, who's a sophomore at New Mexico State, she's on a travel with her soccer team, and so she, she's, she's an athlete. She calls everyone else a NARP, a non-athletic regular person. <laughs> so irritating. But like, she's like so into all the sports because they're all like, like they're all this, there's like their community, they're a family. And so she's like, I have to watch the game because New Mexico State, now, Wake 
used to be like this. Not a football powerhouse. Like, that's New Mexico State every year. And um, they're 0-4, and she's, they're playing Hawaii. Sorry, Georgia. Um, and she's like, man, this might be the only game they win. I need to watch it, Dad. And I'm like, well, it's not on any, it wasn't on ESPN Plus, it's New Mexico State. Like, let's just be honest. Um, and so she, uh, she's like, it's on this thing called Flow Sports. And so she sends me a little screenshot. And it's, she goes, it's only $12.99. And it has two boxes, $12.99 if you pay the full year, which means it's not really $12.99. It's like a hundred and whatever dollars. And then the other one is $19.99 a month. And I'm like, Blakely, dear, it's like, it's, it's $20. Like, that's as much as season tickets are for the New Mexico State Aggies. <laughs> And she wants to watch this one game. And so she, I'm like, I'm not paying for that. And she's, she's like, why, Dad? I can't believe, like, exasperated that I'm not paying for it. And I'm like, I'm not. And she goes, well, I'm just going to get it then. I'm like, seriously, you're going to pay 20 bucks for this one game? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, why is it that you, like, just don't want to listen to me? And she goes, that's because that's who I am. <laughs> I'm like, that's not a virtue, baby. <laughs> but... There is this, like, she, she's, she's demanding for me to act. And what I want you to really sit into is David's demands here. David demands, and this is the tension of grace. It's bound up in God's character and God's promise-keeping ways. David doesn't test God, like, let's just see how far you'll go in your love and loyalty this is something we can do. But he is saying, you promised I'm dying here and you are obligated because of covenant, because of your words and your promises to rescue me. Now he's also adopted a posture of trust like a reaching child, like a child reaching for a parent when they've fallen. Like there's two kinds of demands your children make of you, right? Like the demand in Target to buy you the toy. We've all been there. And that like feeling of shame and embarrassment when the cries get loud enough. And the cry in the middle of the street when they've fallen off their bike. Both are based in demand for you to act as their parent. Listen to the words. Verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. David holds up God's righteousness. God's righteousness is his capacity to intervene. Righteousness is the rectifying work of God. God can fix it. He takes up our world, our very selves. He commits himself to set right all that has gone wrong. And that intervention means support. It means sustaining help. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. In your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. You will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. And for David, God's righteousness is in contrast to his own. David's inadequate to fix this. David is unable to renew himself. But God is, so he makes demands. 
What are his demands? Quickly, let's walk through these. Verse 1, hear my prayer, hear my pleas, give me your listening ear. Imagine a scene, mom or dad or caregiver, peppered with questions. Are you listening? Hello? In your faithfulness, answer me. The word, the Hebrew word, hesed, fidelity, covenantal love. Again, in 8 and 11 and 12, this is basic to David's demands. God's covenantal love. God's bound himself to David. And David's only response is to be bound to God. In his fainting despair, he is united to his God. And God is the only source for renewing comfort and strength. And this is why he's entitled to make demands. He's Yahweh's child. When my seven-year-old deacon cries and talks and talks and talks and talks, I turn my face towards him. In fact, like this is one of the big things that I've learned as an old dad that I didn't always do as a young dad is the importance of my child getting my face. Uh, of moving towards him instead of sending him away to punish him. Like I've made my commitment to not do that and to move towards him always. Get down on his level. If I, a wicked father, know how to give this gift to my child, how much more our Heavenly Father? United to him in covenantal love, you are entitled to the full benefits of that love. So when you run aground in the low tide of dryness, tossed about by your enemies, where you feel dizzy and undone, despairing in the dark, in the damp places you reside, demand God to act, to pull you out. He is your faithful father. He is your faithful spouse. He's promised to deliver you. And renewal begins in the dark because it depends on God's mercy and the umbilical cord of God's mercy is reaching hands in faith-filled, demanding cries. Next, verse 3, don't let this judgment, this place of despair be my end. You might be feeling that you have come to the end of yourself because of yourself. You might be lying on the floor in the pool of your own blood, of your, make, your own making, your own fainting. David understands this. He understands sin and its far-reaching effects. And yet in that place, he demands that God not leave him in a place of judgment, despair, decline, stagnation. So he demands, verse 7, answer me quickly, O Lord. Don't just answer me, but answer me quickly, for my spirit is failing. I don't know how long I can stay here or keep this up. You, you seem so hidden so far from me, but I know you are here in the dark, so, so hide not your face from me. Don't, don't let me keep sliding all the way down into this pit. Pull me out. Verse 8. Let me hear when in the morning, at the beginning of the, of your, of the day of your faithful love, I, I need reassurance as my day begins, so I might endure the dark that is to come. Maybe we know the way we should go. How much of our burnout, our numbness, our faintness is the result of being stuck and lost in this in-between? But the reality of life is the in-between, the mundane. The cries of a child and another and another and another. The picking up of that cup again and again and again. The laundry that never ends. 
work and then practice and then dinner and then bedtime, the ache of loneliness and despair that comes in the dark when we're on our beds, where we sleep night after night, the ordinary, the mundane, this is life. And it causes us to grow faint. It causes us to feel overwhelmed and overcome. So David lifts up his soul as an expression of deep dependence. I'm I'm counting on you in the morning to make your way known to me. Are you paralyzed by a decision needing to be made? Are you stuck, refusing to move for fear of what the movement might bring? This is the place of renewal, the low tide. And the high tide of God's renewing love is about to wash upon you and move you and lift up your soul as you reach out for the Lord. Demand His presence in the cries of your heart from this place and be renewed. Verse 9, deliver me from my enemies for I am fleeing for refuge. Here's the thing, where do you run for refuge when you're surrounded by your enemies? That's a stronghold, by the way, whatever you run to. David is trying to make God his stronghold. So friends, what's causing you your fear and anxiety right now? Where you sit this morning? At our men's group the other night, we asked this question around the circle, and man after man after man after man said, the J, my J-O-B, the work I do in the world, my calling for mom, a dad, or a student, causes so much anxiety. And in that moment of your anxiety, even as you're thinking about that now instead of this here, it keeps you from being present wherever you're at that anxiety where are you running what is the happy light that you are needing david demands god's deliverance and waits for it that's why god is his refuge he reaches to god and not other strongholds to feel his deliverance verse 10 teach me to do your will for you are my god let your good spirit lead me onto level ground and here in verse 10 instruction is voice we see this in verse 8 as well cause me to know and to teach this shows an important aspect of the renewing work of God when we are renewed we are made ready to witness to that renewal the way and the path become not only places we go but places we lead others to go and when we're renewed in other words part of the renewing work is getting prepared to obey and lead others to do the same God writes pain in our stories as our uh, uh, Chris and I's counselor says so we can renew our stories and then lead others to the same work. We follow God where he leads, and the good news is that's level ground. Verse 11, the last demand, act. Why? For your namesake. For your reputation. Always a good tone to hear in our prayers, our cries for mercy. Please act. You have a reputation. Act on it. And in doing so, preserve my life. In your righteousness, your just and acting action, Bring my soul out of trouble. David knows he has no compelling grounds for renewal. Don't preserve me because I'm needy or worthy, but do it for your name's sake. I have staked my claim on your name. Who are you? You are a refuge. Is he your refuge, Redeemer? How do you know he is a refuge? Well, it's bound up in something David knows, but only seeds dimly, namely resurrection. I'll start with a quote by Barbara Brown Taylor. I want to end with one. As many, years, as many years as I have been listening to Easter sermons, I've never had anyone, heard anyone talk about that part 
Resurrection is always announced with Easter lilies and sound of trumpets, bright and streaming light. But resurrection didn't happen that way. It happened in a cave. It happened in complete silence. It happened in absolute darkness with the smell of damp stone and dung in the air. I let this sink in. New life starts in the dark. Whether it's a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb, or Jesus in the tomb, it starts in the dark. The resurrection is the engine of our renewal. And resurrection began where? In the dark. And so maybe running to God as refuge means taking first steps into the dark. Like He is the cave. And when we walk into it with fear and trepidation, like we're walking into a dark cave, that is where He is. And united to Him by faith, it's also where resurrection is. And that's where new life begins. And that is the anchor for all our prayers, Redeemer. Renewal begins in the dark because God... uh, Because in the dark, God is our refuge. And that leads to the last demand. In your faithful love, cut off my enemies. Destroy the adversaries of my soul. What are those? Sin, death, the devil, all his minions. These are the powers that wage war on us through our circumstances, through our flesh, through the world. And they need to be cut off. The supply lines cut off. Like in war, cutting off those supply lines. And how has that happened? Through the death of Jesus. The enemy has been slain by the body and the blood of Jesus. And the resurrection announces that the enemy is dead. And the power has been cut off. And the stronghold that sets itself up against you and against our souls is no longer that strong. In fact, if resurrection begins in the dark cave, and that's to be our stronghold, I I encourage you this morning, his application, run to him there. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would uh, help us this morning. Remind us that you are our, our home. You are the Father who runs towards us. turns his face towards us, that your countenance is ever before us because of Jesus. So this morning, as many of us probably feel like you're looking across the room at us with disapproving eyes, remind us that that is a lie from the devil. Your heart and your face is set upon us with grace and love. And you are inviting us to always run back to you. So I pray that we would do that. Even if that feels scary and dark for many of us, I pray that you would fan the flame of our little faith that we might run and find you in the dark caves of our world. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.